This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Hey, well, this morning we get to do one of my favorite things, and that is dedicate a child. We love, as a church, dedicating our children to the Lord, recognizing that our children are a gift from God to us, and that He has given us at Community Covenant the responsibility of coming alongside of parents in the love and nurture of our children, helping to grow strong in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning we're going to do that um, with Bob and Sarah Livesey and their daughter, Suri Grace. So if the Livesey's would come up and also come up here to my right, and then if grandparents would come up, come right here, right over here, come on up, grandparents, brothers and sisters, come on up here too. Madison, you come on up. If you go to the right there, there, you're my right. We got, we got the whole family here. So We've got grandparents here. We have Sandy. We have Bill and Karen. We have Pam and Don. We have Ethan and um, Caden. And where's Madison? We have Madison here too. And Madison, if you just come stand right there with, with Pam, that would be great. So let's begin with reading of Scripture. Know that the Lord is God that He has made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him, bless His name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And as you can see here, His faithfulness to all generations. And we have multiple generations represented here. So today we come to rejoice with Bob and Sarah in the gift of their daughter, Suri, and to give thanks to God, the giver of life and the source of all blessing, because Jesus invites all of the children to come to Him. We bring Suri Grace. He has beautiful blue eyes. Man, melt a grandparent's heart. Okay? We bring Suri Grace to our Savior, praying for his blessing as a sign of God's kingdom. So, Bob and Sarah, as parents, you have offered Surrey to the strong and tender providence of God and to the nurture of the church. We also, as members of this congregation, promise to share in your child's nurture and support your efforts in providing a loving and caring home. Our prayers will be with you and for you in making your task both fruitful, joyful, and enjoyable. Okay? So, the Scripture says, People were bringing little children to Jesus to let him, uh, for Him to touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, He was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. 
Truly I tell you, Jesus said, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hand on them, and blessed them. So if I could... All right, this is the... We'll see what happens here. (laughs) How's that? Oh, you're so beautiful. This is Surrey Grace. You see her here? Isn't she beautiful? She's a little wiggle worm. (laughs) And Surrey Grace, I want everybody to see her because she is a gift from God, not only to her parents, her grandparents, her siblings, but she's a gift from God to us, our congregation here at Community Covenant. And so there she is. Isn't she great? Yeah. I mean, I could get used to this. Here she is. And I want you to see her because in a moment as a congregation, we are going to be dedicating ourselves to raising her up in the love and admonition of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what a wonderful day this is for the church to celebrate the gift of our children, but also to take seriously the responsibility God has given us to raise them up in the love of the Lord. Okay. Everything's easier from here on out. (laughs) The series is about three months old now? Yeah, about three months old. Okay. So Bob and Sarah, will you as parents, by God's help, Dedicate yourselves to Christian nurture of your child, to bring her up in worship and teaching of the church, that she may come to know Christ as Savior, being baptized and following Him as Lord. So answer, we will. Will the congregation please stand? Will you, as members of this congregation, Dedicate yourselves to be faithful to your calling as members of the body of Christ so that Surrey and all other children among you may grow up in the knowledge and love of Christ our Savior. So answer, we will. will. Please be seated. Okay, let's come right here. And I want you all to gather around his family and just place your hand here on Surrey. If you do that. Right. <laughs> Wherever you can touch. There you go. All right. Surrey, because Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, for to such belongs the kingdom of God, we present you to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay. Let's come back here. <laughs> Let's pray. O Lord, our Heavenly Father and faithful God, may we, your people, become a family of faith to this child, setting before her good models of new life in Christ, providing her with food for the mind and spirit that will nourish her through the years of growth and maturity on the way that leads to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Let's hear it for the Livesays. Now, uh, 
Good morning. We're going to have the backside of dedication and baptism. We're going to be sending one of our kids, church kids. And so, Nathaniel Swanberg, we, if uh, Chris Rutz, are you in the building? Mm. So, Nathaniel, can you tell a little bit about what you're going to be doing and then how we can be a and I, I could share a little bit about how we could support you if you don't share that. But. So I will be joining a group called Covenant Players that does um, ministry through drama. It's an interdenominational organization based out of Los Angeles, outside of Los Angeles. I'll fly down there on Saturday night for two weeks of training, after which I will be assigned to a unit. And with that unit, there will be two or three other people that I'll travel throughout a region of the United States with performing short plays in churches, schools, nursing homes, hospitals, and just sharing God's love. Uh, My original commitment is for one year, and then I have an option to go on for another year after that if I want. Yeah, so this is a big step of faith. Uh, Nathaniel, that's one of the things I'm excited for you, is that you are you're leaving home, and you're taking a big step of faith to go share the message of God's love. And Chris uh, is one of our high school leaders. He did this for a while. He invited some of you guys to go watch. Is that correct? And um, so how can we can be supportive? I know that you're going to be needing some finances. Uh, He's going to send out a a prayer letter uh, to update us on how you're doing. But pray for him. This is a huge step uh, that God would be with him. He would uh, receive what he needs from the Lord. And that he'd also be a, a message of his love. And so one thing I I wanted to share about Nathaniel is one of his most manly qualities is his initiative. He takes initiative when he sees something that needs to be done. Nathaniel has done it. He's taken care of a little girl named Brenda. He's led our youth group in a compassion child commitment. And so anyway, we're going to miss you, but we're proud of who you are. And uh, the verse I have for you, I give to every young man. What you, each man will be like a shelter from the wind, a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert. Could we you ex, uh, stand up and extend your hand, and let's pray for Nathaniel and send him. Father, thank you for Nathaniel and how many people in this church have helped shape him, his parents and many longtime members. It's a joy to see children grow in a body. And God, we commit him to you. Uh, You're the only one that knows every step. And we want to open the door for him to proclaim the message of Jesus uh, where he goes. May his heart come alive this year in new ways that he doesn't anticipate. And may he provide for his every need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The scripture this morning is from Esther, chapter 4, verses 6 through 14. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. 
He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But thirty days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Thank you, David. David is another one of our uh, young people here in the church that has served faithfully, that has grown up in the church. And you're leaving in a very short time for college in Arizona, aren't you? Yeah, well, we appreciate you too and all that you do, you and your family. And So if you have a chance, whether it be to Nathaniel uh, or to David, um, be sure to, to let them know uh, that you'll be praying for them and that your love goes with them uh, as the Lord is using them in other places now and is growing them up uh, to be His representatives in the world. So thank you for that. Thanks for all that you do. I want to begin this morning with a quote. It's from Greg Groeschel, who pastors, I think it's the largest covenant church in the United States. It's in Oklahoma City. And this is what he says. He says, decisions are made today, excuse me, the decisions we make today will determine the stories we tell tomorrow. Do we have that slide up there? There it is. The decisions we make today will determine the stories that we tell tomorrow. Uh, We are beginning a new sermon series entitled Defining Moments. In each of our lives, we have defining moments. Uh, Perhaps you can look back over your life or perhaps you're standing at a crossroads today in which you're having to make choices. Uh, those choices are an indication of who you are, your identity, what you value. Not only who you are, but whose you are. And who do you identify with? What's your purpose in life? What is it that you see as being your goals? And so we come to these places in life that are very revealing about those things. Sometimes they happen periodically. Sometimes they can happen many times in a day. They are defining moments. And as we look back, we can see how God is working in those moments. And I think this morning, uh, what I want to really emphasize with us 
is that as we come to defining moments, we need to choose wisely. We need to choose wisely. So for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking through Scripture at the lives of some men and some women, at the lives of people in the Bible who were facing defining moments. And we want to see what we can learn from them as it pertains to our own lives. But I want to begin this morning by introducing you to three people that you may not be familiar with. Uh, The first is a U.S. Navy veteran named Austin Shirley. You can see Austin there with his dog. Austin returned from duty with a sudden lack of purpose. He set out to find uh, it in a way that was just not about himself, but was focused on wounded veterans around the country. Shirley mapped a 2,500-mile walking route that began in Jacksonville, Florida, and ended in San Diego, California, that he followed with his dog, Archer, and his best friend, John, for nine and a half months, raising money for his fellow servicemen along the way. He traded in all of his possessions for hiking gear, camping equipment, and food. And he raised more than $62,500 for wounded wear and found the part of himself that was missing. Quote, I was just attracted to the whole adventure aspect. I figured it would help me to become a better person, and it has. There's no question that this has been the best experience of my life. And so here is Austin, struggling to find his purpose in life. And he finds his purpose in doing something that is beyond himself. He finds a purpose in something that's greater than himself. He sells everything he has to invest in his adventure of walking across the country to raise money for wounded veterans. That's Austin Shirley. Let me introduce you to another person. His name is Deputy Andy Connor. You can see him there. Andy Connor used to spend the majority of his time on duty patrolling one of Washington's most problematic highways for prostitution. However, when he grew tired of arresting young women, he decided to instead ask them why they wouldn't leave the lifestyle behind. He realized that many of them were not on the streets out of choice. He said, that changed things for me because I was a police officer. I was supposed to help people. So then he set out to organize a community home for these girls, offering them counseling, a safe shelter, and vocational training to give them the fresh start that they needed. He operates what is now known as the Genesis Project, the name he gave the organization while maintaining his full-time role as a police officer, telling any sex-trafficking woman he comes to that she now has a choice. That's Deputy Andy Connor. What do Austin Shirley and Andy Connor have in common? They came to a crossroads in their life, a fork in the road in which they had to make a choice. For them, it was a defining moment about things that they saw outside themselves 
Were they going to look the other way or were they going to press in? Were they going to commit themselves and devote themselves to doing something about it? Let me introduce you now to Kathy O'Grady. There she is with her husband and child. Kathy's always been a person who loves life mission, or has always been a person whose life mission was to bring a smile to the faces of complete strangers. And you can tell that. Look at her smile. Isn't that something? But after her mother passed away from breast cancer, she felt the need to embody her mother's legacy of unbridled generosity and took her random acts of kindness to the next level. From donating $50 gift cards to Boston families that couldn't afford a Thanksgiving dinner, to leaving blankets, hats, and scarves on park benches for the homeless. O'Grady devotes every second of her spare time outside of her accounting job and her online jewelry business to giving back because it helps others and makes her feel good. And, and here's what she says. Are you ready? I just want people to feel loved. Three people, all from different walks of life, looking at their world, coming to a defining moment and asking, can I make a difference? What can I do to better my world? What can I do to touch the lives of people that God has placed in front of me and to make a difference? Well, I want to again introduce you to another couple. But these you're familiar with. You know them. They're in our church. Beth and Larry Smith. They're in the back. Stand up. Larry is a physician and Beth is an attorney. But the Lord has given them a heart for the nation of Kenya. And after taking several short-term mission trips there and leading teams with them, uh, they came to a defining moment in their life at a crossroads. What are we going to do? How are we going to respond? And courageously, boldly, with the help of God and the prayers of this congregation, they have decided that they're going to answer that call, and now they're going to go from short-term missionary work to long-term work in Kenya. Larry working in a, a medical clinic, and Beth helping women in Kenya uh, develop sources of income, uh, contending in issues of compassion, mercy, and justice for the underprivileged, for the underrepresented, for the overlooked. And so here is a couple in our own church that came to a defining moment, a crossroads, in which they decided, yes, Lord, we're going to answer that call. We're going to make a difference in the world. And for them, it's in Kenya. Now, if you don't know Larry and Beth, after the service, over by the mission wall, They'll be there. You can find out more about their trip, more about how you can support them financially or in prayer. You can find out more about the ministry and the mission of Kenya. You'll be hearing more about that in the weeks and the months ahead. But I want to point out this couple. Uh, they're not on the screen. They're right here in front of us. So thank you. Now, there's a fifth person I want to introduce you to today. You probably are familiar with her. Uh, her name is Esther. 
Uh, she is a Jew that was living in exile uh, in the Persian kingdom. And to really understand her story, let me give you some background into the book of Esther and then tell you a little bit about the events leading up to chapter 4, which is the scripture that uh, David read today. So, to really understand the context of what's going on in Esther, I'd encourage you just sometime to go two books back in the Bible to the book of Ezra. And in Ezra chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 and following throughout the first chapter of Ezra, you're going to see that there's something historical that happens that changes the trajectory of the Jewish people. You see, the Jews had been conquered. They'd been taken into captivity. And at the time that Ezra is writing, he's writing about a transition of power. You see, King Xerxes of Persia, or excuse me, King Cyrus of Persia overthrows the Babylonian Empire. And the Persians, modern-day Iran, become the dominant, the dominant force and power in the world. Now, all the Jews that have been taken captivity into the Babylonian Empire are now in the Persian Empire. And Cyrus, wanting to expand, of course, the borders of his kingdom and make sure there's security, and also wanting to uh, develop communities that can help pay taxes and support the expansion of the Persian kingdom, he issues a decree, and that's what's in Ezra chapter 1 and in, 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 uh, verses 1 and 4 and following. And basically the decree is this. He releases the Jews who are in captivity to go back to their homeland, to go back to Jerusalem, to reestablish their worship and to rebuild the temple. Okay? In other words, he is sending those who want, who had been in exile, home. And there are about 50,000 Jewish exiles that, that do that. And the rebuilding of the temple and the practices of, of Judaism were reestablished, and it's paid for through the money and the treasury of the kingdom. Can you imagine that? Now, that kingdom is going to last from about 539 B.C. to 330 B.C., and Esther and the events that we're talking about here uh, are taking place a little bit later under the reign of King Xerxes. Now, Xerxes, you may know, is constantly trying to expand the kingdom. And uh, he's very famous for his battles against the city-state people in the country we know as Greece. Okay? And over and over and over again, he attempts to conquer the Greek people. And they're at war back and forth, back and forth for about that 200-year reign of the Persian Empire until eventually Alexander the Great, right, conquers Persia. And there's another shift in power that takes place. And then the Greeks become the dominant force in the world. So the book of Esther is talking about a time in which King Xerxes was the king of Persia. And the story goes like this. There's marital problems in the kingdom, okay? Marital problems in the kingdom. The king throws this great banquet. 
And he invites nobles and common people alike to come. And it lasts for several days. And at the end of the banquet, or towards the end of the banquet, he sends word to bring his queen, her name is Vashti, to the banquet. He wants to show her off. She is beautiful, striking in appearance. And he um, is saying, this is my trophy wife. I'm the king. Doesn't she look good, right? But there's a problem here. Vashti says, no way. I'm not going to be put on display to your pleasure and the pleasure of all those that you want to show me off to. So she refuses to go. Well, there's an uproar. And the noblemen and the king's advisors come to him and say, King Xerxes, if, if you allow her to do this, do you know what it means to us? Do you know what our wives are going to do the same thing? Right? And, and throughout your kingdom, all the women are going to resist the direction of their husbands. You have to do something. And so here's what they advised him. You have to depose her. You have to put her, shelf her, put her away. And you have to select a new queen. And so that's exactly what he did. And he took all the young virgin women in the kingdom and had them come to Susa, which is where the capital was, where he was. And he was going to survey all these young women and out of them he was going to pick the most beautiful one to be his wife. And so Esther, okay, was a young Jewish woman and she was taken to be a part of this. Okay, it was kind of like star search. He's looking for the new queen. And ultimately, she's selected. Now she has an uncle, his name is Mordecai. And Mordecai tells her, now listen, don't you tell anyone that you're a Jew. Now remember how those 50,000 exiles went back to Jerusalem? Uh, the bulk of the Jews stayed in exile because they had kind of woven into the secular life of the Persian kingdom. And it was very possible that even though they were Jews, they weren't practicing in the way we know Judaism. Uh, there weren't priests. Uh, there weren't prophets. There wasn't a temple. All the things that we associate with Judaism were absent. And so these were Jews who were very, very secular. So it was very possible to be a Jew, but not to be noticed or identified with Judaism. And so Mordecai, Esther's uncle, had raised her. Her mother and her father had died. And as a result, he took her under his wing and cared for her and raised her as his own. And so when she was selected to go to stand before the king, he said, whatever you do, don't tell him that you're of Jewish heritage. And so she goes, and ultimately we know the story, is that she is selected. Okay, She is going to be the new queen of the Persian Empire. Now, while she is serving as the queen, one of her attendants overhears uh, some others of the king's noblemen plotting to assassinate the king, okay? By the way, eventually that's going to happen. Xerxes' reign is for about 20 years or so, but eventually he is going to be assassinated. But in this situation, she gets word that there are these noblemen that are plotting to kill the king. 
she tells her uncle Mordecai, right? Mordecai gets word out to the king, and as a result, the king's life is spared. But you know there's a man named Haman, and he is a descendant of the Amalekites. You might remember the Amalekites. The king was Agog, and they were among the first people group after the Exodus to come against the children of Israel. In fact, in Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 through 19, the Lord says to the people, the Amalekites are going to be a thorn in your flesh for a long, long time. They're going to be constantly your adversaries. But don't worry, eventually they'll be wiped out and you will prevail. And so what we see here in the book of Esther is this man who is the descendant of the Amalekites. His name is Haman, and he is a nobleman in the king's court. He gets all the credit for averting the assassination rather than Mordecai. And the king Xerxes elevates him to this great place of nobility. And Haman demands that whoever comes into his presence must bow before him. Okay? What do you think Mordecai does? Do you think Mordecai bows before Haman? No, he refuses to. And this infuriates, just infuriates Haman. And so he goes to the king and he says, there's a people in the kingdom whose names will be unmentioned. And they have their own ways. And they refuse to, to, uh, to go along with your edicts and with the ways of our people. And uh, what should I do with them? And the king basically says, do whatever you want. And so Haman seizes the opportunity. He is now the top nobleman in the kingdom underneath the king. And he decides that He wants the king to issue an edict that all the people of Jewish descent are going to be executed, eliminated. In other words, the plan is for genocide. And we know leading up to this, because of his Amalekite heritage, there was already animosity. He was already an anti-Semite. And now he seizes this opportunity. Right? And basically that's what leads us here to Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4. And you know the story. Some of Esther's attendants see that Mordecai is in sackcloth and ashes. What he's basically done is he's in mourning. He's in distress. And she wants to know what's going on. And so she sends one of her attendants to Mordecai. And Mordecai brings back word to the attendant and saying, hey, listen, you need to tell Esther that Haman has manipulated the king to issue this edict to destroy our people and that she needs to do something about it. And the verses that we read today beginning in verse 6 of chapter 4, Mordecai sends the message back to Esther and her attendants tells Esther everything that's going on. And at first, Esther is reluctant. She doesn't want to get involved. After all, you know, she's living life pretty well. Uh, She's the king's new trophy wife, right? She is the queen of the Persian Empire, the most dominant power at that time on the face of the earth. And she's thinking to herself, well, wait a minute. 
Why do I want to get involved here? Why should I get involved here? Life's pretty good for me. It's pretty safe. And then Mordecai reminds her of something. And this is that very famous verses 12 through 14 in the book of Esther. You can see it right here. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back his answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house alone, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And then here are the famous words that you're familiar with. And who knows but that you have come to the royal position for such a time as this. Okay? And so she has to rethink what's happening. But in order to go to the king, she has to rest, uh, risk her life because no one can go to the king unless he calls them and he extends his scepter to them. And so to go to the king, she literally is risking her life because what if the king doesn't want to see her? The penalty for that is death. But she comes to a crossroad. She comes to a defining moment. What is she going to do? To go to the king means to reveal that she is a Jewish person. That she's going to have to say, this is, this is my people and I'm standing on behalf of them. And in doing so, she's going to reveal not only who she is, but she is going to risk her life. And so she thinks long and hard about it. And the defining moment for her was this. Do I do nothing and wait and see what happens? Or do I move forward on behalf of my people, even at the risk of my life? That's a defining moment, isn't it? She has a choice to make, doesn't she? You know, I, I think of us as Christians in the world we live today. Uh, there are people that tuned in all last week and they watched the Republican National Convention and they heard all the speakers. And there are going to be people tuning in this week and they're watching the Democratic National Convention and they're looking at all the speakers. And for a lot of people, that's where their hope lies. Do you know that? But I have to tell you something. And we've talked about this before. God is not a Republican. God is not a Democrat. Our hope isn't in Donald Trump and our hope isn't in Hillary Clinton. Okay? Our hope is in the Lord of Lords. See, I don't have a, a, an R next to my name, and I don't have a D next to my name. I have a C next to my name. Okay? My hope and my Lord is Jesus Christ. And as God's children, He calls us as His church to be the hope of the world. You see, we can't abdicate our responsibility. We can't step back and say, you know, things are pretty comfortable living in the shadows. We blend in pretty well with the culture around us. There are times when we, as men and women and followers of Christ, are called to step forward to identify who we are and to whom we belong and to live our lives with a greater purpose and for our own safety and well-being. Do you know that? That's what He's calling us to do. But it's so easy for us to retreat into a Christian bomb shelter. Right? We want to hide out. We want to wait until it's all done. Jesus comes back and He takes us to be with Him. Wow! Right? Do you know World War II? 
as the British people in London during the time of the Blitz, night after night after night of bombardment, they would literally go into the bomb shelters and they would stay there and they would entertain themselves. Some would sing and dance. Uh, others would play music. They'd play games while the bombs were going and the ground was shaking and they knew that there was war going on outside, but they were safe and secure in the bomb shelter. Well, there's a very famous cathedral. It's called St. Peter's, or excuse me, St. Paul's in London. And, and that cathedral was to be a symbol of hope to the British people. In fact, Winston Churchill, he asked for volunteer fighter fighters to go on the roof of the cathedral. And he said, whatever you do, when the bombs come, put the fire out. Because I want people to emerge from the bomb shelters in the morning, and I want them to see the cathedral. And I want them to see that it still stands. And I want it to be a symbol of hope. And so all through the blitz, night after night as the bombs fell, these faithful volunteers literally on the roof of the cathedral would put the fires out at the risk of their own life so that in the morning the people could emerge and see it as a symbol of hope. Okay? It's time for us in this defining moment to come out of our bomb shelter church. You know, we play music and we sing songs and we have potlucks. We do good things together in our Christian bomb shelter. But there's something going on outside of here. And God is calling us to this defining moment to be the hope of the world. To live our lives, to look around us and see, God, what are You calling me to? Maybe it's a person next to me. Maybe it's my neighbor across the street. Maybe it's my own family member. Maybe like Nathaniel Swanberg, it's to the covenant players. Or like the Smiths to Kenya. But whatever it is, God is calling us to emerge from our Christian bomb shelter and engage the world outside to bring hope so that people can see that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Do you see that? It's a defining moment for us. We can't live and think that somehow we can remain unaffected because security outside of God is an illusion. Do you know that? And that crisis is an opportunity to be God's instruments. Fear immobilizes, but faith acts. Second Timothy 1.7 God has not given us Followers of Jesus, a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Do you see that? And so Esther acts, and she goes to the king. The king receives her. She throws a banquet. The king says, I'll do whatever you want. There's two things that happen. Number one, she reveals Haman's plot against the Jews. And how Haman took the credit for Mordecai in discovering the assassination plot. Haman ultimately is put to death on the stake that he had planted for Mordecai to be put to death on. Haman dies. But then a second thing happens. She goes to the king and she says, I am a Jew. And Haman issued an edict in your name to destroy my people. And I want you to rescind that. So you know what the king does? He elevates Mordecai to second in charge of the kingdom, gives him the authority to rescind that initial decree. 
And not only that, he says, and all the enemies of the Jewish people, they're the ones to be destroyed. And you know as a result of this, the Jews today, they have a feast, a festival. It's called the Feast of what? You know it? Purim. Pur means lot. Because Haman cast lots to determine what date he was going to put all the Jews to death on. And so the Feast of Purim, which the Jews celebrate to this day, is a celebration of their deliverance in the Babylonian, excuse me, in the um, Persian Empire. And to this day, they remember that. In fact, in World War II, when, uh, in World War II, when uh, the Jews were in concentration camps, they were forbidden from reading the story of Esther. Their captors wouldn't let them do it. So you know what they did? They wrote it from memory. And in the concentration camps, they recited it and they told the story. Because God was their hope. And they knew that just like in the day of Esther, God would work providentially to deliver His people. And He did. And we have the nation of Israel. Okay? So where does that leave us? In this defining moment, are we going to be like Esther? Psalm 118.6. Are you ready? The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Do you know that the Lord is with us? Do you know that? That we can rely on His strength? Jim Elliott, a famous missionary, was martyred in 1956 in Ecuador. He said these words. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Church, this is a defining moment that we would respond in faith, respond to God, not our circumstances, that we would remain in prayer because you know what? Prayer precedes action. Notice that Esther calls the, all the Jews in the kingdom to fast before she goes to the king. We are to rely on God's strength and we're to remember that the reward of being faithful, the reward of choosing to live in the world as those who represent God's hope, the rewards far outweigh the risk. I want to close with a quote. I've told you the story before. It was the day that I buried my mother. It was a defining moment for me. I was angry at God. I, was, I didn't know what to do. I was confused. and I went home and I went into her room. I just wanted to be close to her. And I opened a drawer and in that drawer was a Bible. I recognized. I had not seen it before. It was my grandmother's Bible. I thank God for praying, grandmothers. Pam, you pray for your granddaughter, will you? I know my grandmother was praying for me and even though she was gone at the time of my mother's death, I walked into my mom's room and I pulled out that Bible and I opened it up and inside it in my grandmother's handwriting were these words. And these words helped me choose how I was going to live in the wake of my mother's death. They gave me hope. They gave me courage. And they reminded me 
that God had a call on my life and His hand on my life and He wanted me to live for Him amidst my disappointment and pain. Hear the words. With God's strength behind you, His love within you, and His arms underneath you, you are more than sufficient for the days ahead of you. This is a defining moment. Choose wisely. One young woman in a defining moment stepped out and made a difference for a whole nation and for salvation history. What can the Lord do through each of us? As you pray and as you consider that, remember this, to be immovable, steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord, inasmuch as you know your labor in Christ Jesus is not in vain. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God bless you. Amen. Have a great Sunday.